together. Let's say Hosanna when I count to three. One, two, three. That's it. Shout it loud. That was the cry, Palm Sunday in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. That word Hosanna means we give God the highest praise, the loudest praise, a full praise with all of our hearts. It also means rescue me, Lord. And I think both are true at the same time in our lives. We give God praise and we also need his help every day. We cry Hosanna together in this Palm Sunday. We are wrapping up a series today in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, if you brought a Bible or on your phone, we love to go through God's word together. And as we wrap it up, the theme today is the church that you want or the church that we want, the church that God wants. Hopefully we'll be in alignment. The church that God wants is the church that we want, is the church that you want, and it comes together. We're going to read about it and dive into 1 Peter chapter 5. And I also want to say, coming up a week from today, we have Easter. And there's no greater opportunity than I'd say Easter and Christmas. During the year, those two times when people are so receptive to say yes, they'll come to church. It can be on campus or it can be online. It can be both. You can invite people to join you either way. And a lot of times the difference is when you give that personal invite. It's one thing if they see, hey, on Facebook there's an Easter service. But when you reach out to someone, you take that relational risk, you don't know what's on the other side of a personal invitation. I'm telling you, one invitation, lives can be changed. So think and pray this week who you could reach out to. And then on Saturday, uh, if you want to come on Saturday, we have even more space on Saturday. If you're thinking which service is going to kind of have the most space, that would be Saturday as well. So that's a consideration if someone says to you, well, you know, what would be the service with the least amount of people? Come Saturday night at 5. It's all the same service, Saturday night and uh, Sunday 9 and 10.45. We know Jesus is risen. All three services, we're going to celebrate that. And then uh, the week after, Lord willing, uh, we're going to start a new series going through the minor prophets. And they're called minor, not because they're less important, but because in the Bible, these books are very small. And a lot of people overlook or haven't spent time in the minor prophets. We're going to look at several books in the minor prophets. The theme is, what is God saying? Because the prophets are listening to God, communicating God's word. And this is going to be a series where we really highlight listening to God together. Diving into the minor prophets, listening to God. So that's coming up as well. Lots of exciting stuff these days. Uh, right now, let's pray. And a couple of specific requests. Uh, let's pray for the Asian American Pacific Islander community because they've been on the receiving end of a lot of hateful comments and actions, not just the past year, although it's really been intensified, and a lot of people are grieving and hurting right now. So let's pray for, with that specific request in mind. And also, um, it's great to pray for different countries, and I think it's timely to pray for Myanmar. And we have one of our interns, Van, who's done a tremendous job in our media ministry. He's behind the scenes, and you just see whether it's you know the weekend services, things are getting posted online, Van has been tremendous, and Van's from Myanmar, and his family's back there, and if you're aware, there's a lot of violence, and we, we want to pray uh, for that country as well. So we lift up those specific requests, and, and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you, uh, brothers and sisters across the globe, and we lift up Myanmar to you, and Lord, there's a lot of violence. We pray for uh, peace. We pray for protection. God, we pray that people in the, the land would turn to you during this time, and you would bring comfort. 
God, we also pray for our Asian American, Pacific Islander, brothers and sisters who are hurting, who feel threatened. Many don't feel safe. And God, we pray, uh, again, for your protection. God, we pray for healing. We pray that things would change in our comments, in our communities. And Lord, there would be healing in our land. And Father, we pray today as we dive into your word and we hear your voice, Lord, that our church would be aligned with you, with heaven, with what you want. And Lord, move in our hearts and our lives so that we wouldn't quench the Holy Spirit in any way. But we say yes to you, Jesus, fully today. We say, Hosanna. We cry out to you with the loudest and the highest praise. We say, Hosanna, Jesus. We praise you in your name. Amen. What does a healthy church look like? What does God want for Grace Community Church? I believe it's revealed here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, the context is that the recipients of the letter were in today northern Turkey, and it was a difficult time. There were persecutions happening. There were martyrs, and it was intense. There was trouble, and Peter's heart is to encourage and comfort and strengthen so they will stand firm in the faith. And I believe we need this letter today, standing firm in the faith. And you say, well, what is God's plan? His plan back then and his plan today, healthy churches, people connected in community, worshiping Jesus, growing in their faith together in local churches. Local churches bringing the living hope, bringing Jesus to each other the way they love each other and to the community. We're going to highlight four different aspects of what this looks like. God's vision through Peter to the churches, then God's vision for churches today. Here's the four aspects, and the first one is servant leadership. We're going to start in chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. It is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Servant leadership, and Peter begins by talking to the elders. Now, that word elder simply means older, but there's a few different words for it. And in the Greek, some of the root words are, they're going to sound familiar to you. One of them from Presbyterian, the other from Episcopal. The words derived, as we think of denominations today, Presbyterian and Episcopal, those words are derived from the meaning of the word elder. Now, the first church that I served at, actually the first two, were Presbyterian churches. It's somewhat ironic that this word elder is someone who's solid in the faith, but today, and I'm not bashing any particular denominations, I'm just talking realistically, when you say Presbyterian, it could be a very solid, healthy church, or it could be a wayward church, and you really have to find out what's going on. Episcopal could be a healthy church, could be one that's really drifted, but that's true in America. When you go into churches now, you have to really check out the doctrine and say, is this a healthy, solid church, or are things, have they just gone off track? And this word elder, when you think of older, in the Jewish and Greek cultures, People were respected as they were older and wiser. There was a lot of respect for people who were older and wiser. And I put those two together because just 
because you're older doesn't mean you're necessarily wiser. We all want to grow wiser as we get older, but you can be older and not wiser. A lot of respect for those who are older and wiser in the community, but the emphasis here is not on age. Even though you think elder, older, the emphasis is on character in the Bible. And you can look at Titus and you can look at Timothy as well, descriptions of elders, and the emphasis is on their character and their walk with God. No glaring flaws would be a way to summarize it. Not perfect people, but honoring the Lord, following the Lord with their whole life. And here we say, lead by example. The pattern. What does that mean, to lead by example? It's a pattern of living that others could see and follow as they follow Christ. Here at Grace Community Church, we have elders. And our church family nominates, elects these elders every year. We usually have about eight to ten elders and they are the leaders of the church. Sometimes people assume that, well, because I'm the lead pastor, I have the final say. But I'm grateful to say, and biblically, we are lined up that no elders lead the church, and we lead the church together. I am one of the elders, and the group of elders is a solid group of elders at our church. I'm so grateful the last five years for the elders at our church. You might um, not know, but the elders meet twice a month, and the elders meet for a few hours, and they cover a lot of different topics from shepherding to stewardship to prayer to outreach, and then they're very involved. When you become a member at Grace Community Church, elder personally meets with you and gets to know you and hears your story, and the elders are serving throughout the week as well, rolling up their sleeves and serving. Just like the Bible says here, eager to serve. The posture of an elder is eager to serve. How can I use my gifts? What's the greatest need in the church? What, what do we need for a time like this? I, can I? It's not I have to, it's I get to. And that sets a tone in a culture for a whole church. They're eager to serve, excited not just to watch, but to enter in. And the motive, because it's important, the motive and the manner that we serve. The motive is not for position or status or glory or applause, or money, uh, it's for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. It's definitely not for money. Elders at our church receive no money. Uh, to make that clear, no money. So if they work twice as hard during the pandemic, they get twice as much money. That zero times zero equals zero. Uh, zero plus zero equals zero. There's no money involved. This is a serving unto the Lord. And when you uh, consider that, Here's what's important right from this passage. The elders ultimately aren't the leaders of the church. Jesus is the leader of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. The elders are the under shepherds. In the Bible, we read that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. These are all descriptions. We all belong to Jesus. We were bought at a price, shed blood on the cross. We all belong to Jesus. This church belongs to Jesus. This is Jesus' church. It's for his glory he leads. Now, Jesus confronted the religious leaders during his time. It was a lot of the form of religion, but no power. Pharisees and Sadducees, those were the religious leaders. And Jesus had his strongest words for them. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 34 is a description of religious leaders that have gone astray. I want to share with you, this is from Paul's song, kind of breaking down Pharisees then and today. And uh, this is what Paul writes about Pharisees and Sadducees. They were highly respected members of the community. They were well-educated. They also had significant political influence. They were very moral. But Jesus made his harshest and strongest rebukes against the Pharisees. What would that look like today? It would be someone who really forgets who 
has given you the gifts that you have and why the gifts that you have were given to you, why everything was given to you. It would be someone who's maybe elevated knowledge or their gifts or their position above their relationship with God. To expand on that, Jesus said in John 5, verses 39 and 40, he confronted them and says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me. So very religious, but not abiding. Those are the Pharisees. A false sense of holiness, self-righteousness, looking down upon other people. Pharisees. Uh, there's a good book Larry Osborne has written, if you want to check out this topic, Accidental Pharisees, because not too many people say, oh, I want to be a Pharisee. You just slip into it without even realizing it. Accidental Pharisees by Larry Osborne. And here's the Sadducees, influenced by the Greek culture, the Hellenistic culture. They did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in eternal life, the existence of angels, or the existence of demons. They were very influential and with their association with Greek culture, that was very popular and respected, especially among the upper class of the day. You could think of Sadducees kind of like philosophers, intellectuals, people who are very politically correct. Uh, Modern-day Sadducees would deny the spiritual world. They would deny the power of the Holy Spirit. They would try to explain everything away with just reasons and philosophy. And uh, these would be the virtues, a very worldly mindset. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. There's a lot of people with advanced degrees, seen as very intellectual, that just think it's ridiculous that the Son of God would come in human form, die on a cross for our sins, in our place, become sin, so that we can have forgiveness from God, and then he's going to return as King and King of Lord and Lords. They think that's just foolishness, but that's the wisdom of God. It's the gospel that saves. Sadducees are deeply influenced by the world, earthly mindset as well. They're quick to explain away miracles. They're just going to put God in a box. They look and act like Christians on the outside, but on the inside, they're missing the Holy Spirit, and they're full of themselves. Those are Pharisees and Sadducees back then. We don't want to accidentally become Pharisees and Sadducees and just be religious today. So what is the main role of an elder? It's to tend to the flock, to care for God's people. That's feed, care, lead, pray, guide, and protect. Strengthen the brothers and sisters. When Peter writes this, it's close to his heart. It's from his own experience. Peter denied Jesus three times, and yet God raised him up to be a leader. Jesus had a conversation with Peter in his restoration that Peter didn't forget. Jesus, denied him three, Jesus was denied three times by Peter. Now Jesus asked three times. He asked Peter, do you love me? I think Jesus asks us that question. Do you really love me? Well, this is how the conversation played out in John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
And the third time, do you love me? And the third time, it was the same echo, feed my sheep. If you love Jesus, build up your brothers and sisters. If you love Jesus, serve and build up. Feed, strengthen, pray for your brothers and sisters. And Peter writes this with a tone of humility. You know, he could have said, you know, I'm the author, I'm one of the big leaders, I'm the apostle. He just says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm just with you, serving in a role by God's grace as an elder. And then he says, I'm also a witness. And that word witness goes back to the word martyr. That's the root word. In other words, I'm just like you, serving, servant leadership. And you know what? I'm probably going to die telling people about Jesus. I'm probably going to die telling people about Jesus. But he also says, I'm a sharer with you in the future glory. That all of this is worth it. And when they kill me and they kill my wife, it's all going to be worth it. We're going to share in the glory of Jesus eternally. I will continue to lead, lead people to Jesus and die if I'm going to die. That's, that's his heart. That's what he's sharing. And uh, this servant leadership is not just exclusively for elders in a church, because then that would only apply to a small group of people. But instead, servant leadership is for every follower of Jesus. It's for all of our staff here at Grace. It's for every department. We have so many leaders within our church, life group leaders. I'm so grateful for our leaders, deacons and deaconesses. It's also for parents at home. It's for grandparents. It's for you when you serve in the marketplace. It's for you and how you serve the people where you live on your block. It's servant leadership because why? This is our Savior who we're following, and leadership is really influence. And you have so much influence. People look up to you. They notice you. You have influence in your neighborhood, in your family, with your friends, on social media. You have so much influence, and that's leadership. And so servant leadership is when you come underneath people and you look, what are the needs and how can I serve? And you know what happens when we do that? People notice Jesus in you and they see what you're saying and your attitude and how you serve and they say, that reminds me of Jesus. How you say that, how you respond, how you listen, how you care, that reminds me of Jesus. And we need to abide with the Lord and glorify the Lord together through servant leadership, not just in this building, but wherever God leads us, live, work, learn, or play, all of those settings, servant leadership. That's a healthy church, servant leadership. Here's the second aspect to a healthy church, and it's a non-anxious presence. Starting in verse 5, a non-anxious presence. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. The gospel is the cause of humility in our lives, and it's also going to be the result. Because when you're humble, people see the gospel through your life and your action and your words. Humility is so important for a healthy church. And this non-anxious presence, here we see the younger generation and the older generation that Peter's describing, they're united together. There's good leadership and there's also good followers. You need both in a church, leading, following, working together. You need the older generation, the younger generation. Peter's writing to a multi-generational church and I am so glad that we are a multi-generational church. 
I'm so glad at our church we have a full range from babies just being born to people well into their 90s and in between as well. That's the fullness of the body. Peter's writing to a church that's going to be multi, it's multicultural, Jews and Gentiles coming together in the Lord. I'm so glad that our church looks more and more like the sound, like Auburn and like heaven. That's also biblical. And, and so both of those, Peter's writing and he's really uh, saying to the different generations here, younger and older, listen to each other, respect each other, learn from each other. I'm in a group, it's called uh, The Advance, a group of uh, guys that, uh, around the country, and basically similar ages. It's, it's guys that are mainly in their 40s, early 50s, late 30s, in that range. But we have one guy who's in his early 20s. And I'm so glad Jordan is in the group. I think we're all learning from Jordan. And Jordan's teaching us uh, about millennial ministry. Uh, You might not know this, but people are experiencing Jesus on TikTok big time. Now, some of you are like, what's TikTok? But I'm telling you, there's ministry. Uh, People that are in their early 20s are spreading the gospel like wildfire on TikTok. And I'm just learning about this from Jordan. Uh, Jordan is empowering millennials, not just to participate, but to lead. In a how-to life movement, what we're seeing is a fire in the youngest generation in our nation, a fire. And when I think about the different generations, we need the younger generation to learn from the older generation, from experiences and wisdom in the word. But we also need the older generations to catch a fire because sometimes if you've been around church a long time, it's just easy to get a little sleepy. And then you realize, oh, we're on a mission. We got to go for this thing. And it kind of comes alive and the different generations need each other. And we listen to each other. We learn from each other. We let each other in. We need each other's help. Uh, I had uh, one of our cars, I was driving our car, it broke down this week. And uh, when um, we called AAA and the person arrived, uh, he was so excited. And, and I was thinking, oh, my car. And he just shows up with this big smile. I'm like, what's your name? He said, Ivan. I said, Ivan, where, where are you from? Bulgaria. I said, Ivan, you look so happy. And he's just, he said, praising the Lord. He's like, it's a good day, you know. And I'm like, who are you? And uh, he said he came to know the Lord when he was 25 years old. And uh, he is so grateful to be able to serve people and help people when their car breaks down. And he is just full of joy. And I was like, I want more of what he's got right now. And uh, I shared my story of coming to the Lord when I was 19. And we just had this incredible bond. And, and we need to let each other in. Our stories, our lives, encouragement. Not just be isolated. When something breaks down in your life, we come together as the body. That's the picture here. To clothe yourself with humility. It literally means to, like, to tie an apron around you. You need to intentionally be humble and put on humility, just like Jesus not be stuffy, not be smug, not be selfish. No, we want to be humble. And part of this humility comes from casting your anxiety on the Lord. And I've got a visual for this. I've got three exercise balls over here. And I want to give a shout out to Wu because, uh, let me pick these up. These are uh, exercise balls. Yeah, I like soccer. Uh, From Wu's Jim, and uh, he gave me these three balls. And I want to talk about casting anxiety upon the Lord. We've got three sizes. We've got the eight-pound ball, the 12-pound ball, and the 20-pound ball, three different sizes. And you might today be carrying some anxiety that feels like eight pounds. You might be carrying some that feels like 12 pounds, or you might be feeling 
like there's 20 pounds, or maybe more than 20 pounds. When you cast your anxiety on the Lord, the first thing to point out is that it means we do carry anxiety. You can't cast something you don't carry. So we get scared, we get worried, we've got anxiety, uh, and we have choices with our anxiety, what we're going to do. Now, I should say going into this that counseling, there's no shame. And there's great counselors, great Christian counselors in the area. Sometimes we need medication. There's no shame. Uh, but what I'm talking about in this illustration right here is that uh, we've stepped up because we all have a role. Uh, the horse is prepared for the battle, but victory rests with the Lord. I'm talking about after we've done everything we can do, not laziness, not promoting laziness, but when we've done everything we can do in life, sometimes we're still carrying anxiety. We're still carrying it. So eight pounds of anxiety, this might represent your car breaking down. This could represent a tough day at the job. This could represent a comment that someone fired that was mean. But you're carrying around a little bit of anxiety about what's going on. And uh, it doesn't say, just put it behind your back and act like you got no anxiety. It doesn't say, hey, life group, what's up? No, I got nothing. No anxiety. Just a big smile. That's all I got. And everyone can see what's going on, but you're just like, no, I'm super spiritual. I've got no anxiety at all. And, uh, and it's like, come on, let's not play that game. Uh, carrying eight pounds of anxiety. So what do you do with the anxiety you're carrying? The Bible says, this is straight out of the verse. What does the verse say? Cast it on the Lord. So I'm just going to get rid of some anxiety. I'm glad that didn't hit anyone, too. Thank you. Thank you for playing along. Let's move on. We've got bigger anxiety to deal with in our lives. And let's move on to 12 pounds of anxiety. This is a little bigger. Now there's cutbacks at work. And you're not sure who's going to lose their job, but there's going to be cutbacks in a couple weeks. And uh, your employer wants to talk to you, and you're not sure what that means, but there's some cutbacks. Uh, this could be some tension. This could be a relationship where it's getting really ugly, and it's been going on for a while, and it just seems to be getting worse. And now you're carrying 12 pounds, and this is different. And sometimes it's hard, because if you just carry this yourself, it's hard to sleep. You ever try to fall asleep with 12 pounds of anxiety on you? It's like, oh, it's tough to sleep at night. I'm having trouble. And whether you sleep on the side, it's like it's hard to fall asleep sometimes carrying 12 pounds of anxiety. And our God is good, and he doesn't want us walking around all day and trying to sleep with 12 pounds of anxiety. So what does he tell us? He is strong. He can carry it. He wants to carry it. And we can cast our anxiety on the Lord. You say, well, I know God can handle the 8-pound, and I'm pretty sure he can handle the 12-pound, but this is a different ball game right here. And you say, and I don't want to burden God. So we kind of go, see, I'm not really carrying it all the time. I just kind of play, I just do this, and then I'm not carrying it, um, not carrying it, and not carrying it, and uh, it's not that bad. I can manage it, you know? And sometimes we kind of go like, okay, whew, I think I got rid of it. Pick it back up. You ever do that one? <laughs> Eight in the morning. Okay, whew. Read my Bible verse, got rid of it. 8.15, picking it back up. 8.30, got rid of it. What did the kids just do? I'm picking it back up. And, and this is what our day looks like. And I'm telling you, this gets tiring. I don't want to do this all day long. Just keep doing that and doing this. And say, oh, I can handle it. I, I've been a Christian a long time. I can handle it. I'm, I'm, I can handle it. That's not the picture. That's not the picture. So what are we going to do with this? You know what the Bible says? 
Cast your anxiety upon the Lord because he cares for you. You're not designed to carry all this weight. You know what else the Bible says? That do not be anxious about anything, but with everything, with thanksgiving, giving thanks to God, praying to God, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says pour out your heart to God. Psalm 62, 8. Trust in the Lord at all times. You know what's at the core of releasing this? At the very deepest place, the question is, do I trust Jesus? That's at the core. Because if I don't trust Jesus, I'm playing games with stress. The release of stress is trusting Jesus, that he is good, that he is with me, that I can trust his plan, that I can trust the final results. Peter's going to trust Jesus and be killed. He's trusting Jesus. Not carrying this anxiety giving it to the Lord. This is what you do. You take the peace is in the release. You carry this. You don't have that full peace of God. The peace is in the release, and you cast your anxiety on the Lord. And now you see, now I'm traveling light. Now I can love people. Now I can listen. Now I can learn. Now I'm humble because I'm not carrying all that extra anxiety. I've given it to the Lord. And the recipients of this letter, that's what they're going to need to learn to make it through the difficult times. Cast your anxiety on the Lord. A non-anxious presence. You know how you really pick up that Jesus is in a church? There's a non-anxious presence. People aren't full of themselves. They're not full of anxiety. They're engaging. They care. They notice you. They pray. They're ready to serve. They're not wrapped up in themselves and worried. They're looking around. They're ready to love. A non-anxious presence. They laugh at the days to come. They're trusting God. That's when you step into that community in a life group, you notice. There's Jesus. The aroma of Christ is there. And so that's what Peter explains. Let's look at a third, and this is encouraging, a third aspect of a healthy church, stories of restoration. Look at verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist the devil. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the whole world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. When you think about the devil, okay, don't think too long about the devil, but he is compared here to like a lion seeking to devour, steal, kill, and destroy. He'll steal and kill your peace, your joy, your relationships, your purity. That's what the devil wants to do. So don't give in to the devil, the lies of the devil. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit in you is stronger than the devil and all his forces. You don't ever have to sit in a position of worry and fear and helplessness. You have the word of God, which is the sword. You have the Holy Spirit in you, greater than any dynamic forces. You can drive out demons, and you walk in the authority of Jesus. You walk in that authority in his name. But the devil tries to find people that are isolated, maybe limping. It's just like animals and prey. You know, who gets taken out? The one that's alone, limping, isolated. Uh, so we stick together, united as a pack, and we're sticking together, even though it's attack and slander. And then out of this, we're also inspired, like Peter says, when you think about your brothers and sisters this morning who are living for Jesus at the risk of their lives around the world because of persecution, that should inspire you. That should increase your devotion to Jesus. And even in the pain and the temporary suffering, God has redemptive purposes. Do you know it's in pain so often that God gets our attention? It's in pain 
that we say yes to purity and get rid of sin. It's in pain that God often reveals our purpose. It's in pain sometimes we discover our passion and how we can help other people. There's a lot of redemptive aspects that happen during our suffering because God often does his greatest work in the most difficult times. And all of this points to who? The God of all grace. If I asked you, who do you worship? What's the name of your God? Oh, our God is the God of all grace. He is the God of all grace. And that's a God who brings restoration. That these trials we go through are temporary. They're diminishing. They will pass. And eventually, we will be home. And what do we do during this time? Before we're in glory, uh, we help each other. You saw the video with the help team. Isn't it cool that we've got a lot of people in our church that are just eager to build something, fix something, do some work? That's right. Let's thank the help team. We've got a help team. We've got a care team that's praying for people, bringing meals. I mean, you can be involved in any of these teams, but I'm so grateful for them. There's stories of restoration that are powerful when people say, yes, God, I'm ready to be part of your story and enter in. I'm excited about this week because we have hope boxes. This last month, we've been talking about hope boxes with this series as we approach Easter. And I think so many hope boxes are going to go out this week. Uh, I know because our team keeps making more and more hope boxes. You take all the hope boxes, and then you're giving them away, and the team keeps making more. There's a few more in the lobby, but over 750 hope boxes are going out. Over 750 boxes of hope. Praise the Lord. It's a tangible way to express the love of God in so many creative ways. Uh, Here's a couple pictures. This was the story at my house. Uh, My wife is very gifted with sourdough bread. Now, don't all come asking for it this week. But for Hope Boxes, uh, this week, um, Hope Boxes going out with sourdough bread and also some Girl Scout cookies. You're going to notice. I mean, is that not a good combination? Sourdough bread and then some Girl Scout cookies right there. Uh, I mean, people are going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. I mean, when you get some fresh sourdough and you get some Girl Scout cookies, you're going to start thinking about maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to get back to church. Maybe I need Jesus. I don't know how it all works. It's mysterious. But uh, so I'm upstairs just writing sermons about loving people. My wife is actually making bread and actually loving people. So that's how our house works. You know, I'm preparing sermons. She's doing the sermons. I'm joking. Uh, but uh, uh, she, I'm not joking about her making the bread. But, um, but I am uh, grateful for my wife who's so practical-minded in just, well, how are we going to love our neighbors, you know? And uh, the kids that involve signing cards, this is just fun. It's just fun as a family when you start to do things and you start to love your neighbors in creative ways. I love one person at our church has been receiving so many packages during COVID, ordering things online all the time, and finally decide, you know what? This person who delivers packages all the time, I'm going to have a box ready, a living hope box, and gave the person, the delivery person, a living hope box. And imagine that if you've got to deliver dozens and dozens of packages every day with not much thanks, and all of a sudden you show up at one house and there's this box full of gifts for you, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, Some people at our church grabbed 60 boxes and brought them filled up with gifts to a funeral and gave one to everyone who's grieving. Just filled the boxes. I mean, there's no limits to what God can do. When God's people say yes to God's spirit and have the love of God in their hearts, 
God is going to give you so many creative ways, and there's going to be so many stories of restoration because God is restoring lives, and he can restore from any kind of devastation and situation and bring hope. Jesus is the living hope. And then here's the fourth aspect is that we're growing together in our faith. We're growing in faithfulness together. Look at the last few verses, starting in verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Growing in faithfulness. I was thinking about one ministry at our church that's called Alpha, and in Alpha, we've seen a lot of people put their trust in Jesus and also get baptized. Alpha is a setting where you can just come, ask questions, um, there's discussions, it's very open, it's very safe, and people sharing about their spiritual thoughts and journey. Nationwide, I was talking to a man named Craig about Alpha, 570,000 people involved in Alpha. And uh, there are about 150,000 making decisions to follow Jesus. What stood out to me is that this is about 35% more than before the pandemic. And there's not too many ministries right now that would say during the pandemic, we've seen all this additional fruit in all these changed lives, but God is using Alpha for that purpose. And here's a key underneath it. Alpha took a pivot and adjustment and said, we're going to be both together, like in a home, and we're going to be online. And we're going to do both fully, and we're going to go for both. Now, that's a huge step. When you're a ministry that's centered around coming together in the home and food, online, I don't know if you've noticed, but you can't really share food online. You can't give someone your favorite dish to that computer. So for them, it, it broke the paradigm, but they said yes. And in the research, what they found, and through Barna as well, is that there was a high percentage of people that wanted to meet in person, 40% preferred that. But then there's about 40% that preferred online. And some people feel safer initially, and they open up their hearts, and they have deep conversations. They talk about Jesus. They decide to follow Jesus online, and some in person. And because Alpha said yes to both, which I think is kind of prophetic for the body of Christ going forward, I think we need both. It's better, I think, to be in person, no question. That's the ultimate. But a lot of times when you're trying to go to where people are, you've also got to reach them because where people are is online. And Alpha saw fruit from both in so many changed lives. Here's a couple of also notes and facts that they found. 38% of followers of Jesus have no real significant relationship with someone who doesn't follow Jesus. What does that say? That means long-term Christians so often have isolated themselves and there's no influence, there's no impact spiritually because all their friends are also Christians in terms of outreach. And I just want to point out that the picture of maturity with Jesus is not that the longer you follow him, the more that you have no influence. But Jesus was a friend with sinners and sharing the gospel all the time. And so um, that picture of spiritual maturity comes to mind. Half of the followers of Jesus have two or less spiritual conversations during the year. Followers of Jesus are not having spiritual conversations anywhere about Jesus. And then the last one is that millennials are the most open generation in our nation right now, measured to be 20% more open. So what does this tell us? It tells us you're a follower of Jesus. It's time 
to love some people who don't follow Jesus. It's time to open up and have some conversations, to create some safe environments so you can ask questions, listen, together, build relationships, safe places. And it's time to intentionally reach the younger generation because the younger generation right now is really curious about Jesus and might not have anyone telling them. Might not have anyone sharing, but in their homes, they're not hearing about the Bible. What do we do? What do we do together knowing this? Well, we grow in our faithfulness. And you know, Peter mentions a couple people. Silas was someone who went on the second missionary journey with Paul. Silas is someone who is a bridge for multicultural ministry. There was tension between Jews and Gentiles in Acts 15. Silas delivered that letter and helped bridge the gap between the different cultures, the barriers, the hatred, the misunderstandings. Silas bridged that gap. Silas also helped write both um, this a letter with Peter here, and then also with Thessalonians with Paul. He was also with Timothy doing ministry. Silas was someone who's kind of behind the scenes in some ways, a leader in some ways who's behind the scenes. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like you've been a little bit behind the scenes, but you're growing in faithfulness, that's awesome. It's just like Silas is doing it under the Lord. And then Peter mentions she, and we don't know. Bible scholars, some will say that's Peter's wife because Peter was married. And his history tells us that Peter's wife actually died as a martyr before Peter. So his family really paid the ultimate cost in terms of trusting Jesus. But also she in the Bible is often referred to as a church. And here the reference is Babylon. And some would say literal Babylon in that location. But many others would point out that Babylon is metaphorical for those who oppose Jesus. And Babylon could be referring to the church in Rome, where Peter's probably writing this letter. And you think about if you've read the book of Romans in the Bible, you know that's all about standing firm in the faith. And then when you think about Peter referring to the church in Rome here, standing firm in the faith. Powerful. And then lastly, we see Peter referring to Mark. John Mark. You say, who's that? Well, it looks like there was one disciple when Jesus was crucified that fled without taking all his clothes because he was so scared, and that was probably Mark. And Mark also went on the first missionary journey with Paul, but then something happened and he just went home to such a degree that Paul didn't want to take him on the second missionary journey, and Barnabas came alongside of John Mark. There's a lot of people who maybe initially things didn't go so well, but with some encouragement and time, just like Mark, there's incredible potential and restoration, growing in faithfulness. Mark is going to write the gospel of Mark. Mark is going to have restoration and reconciliation with Paul, even though they had their differences. Mark is going to be faithful the whole way. And again, a great reminder that with time and encouragement, some who have, maybe you felt like, oh, I didn't start out too well in ministry. With time and encouragement and a teachable heart, look where Mark ends up. What do we gain from all this? Silas, the church in Rome, Peter's wife, Mark. There's no limits with God. There's no limits to how God is going to use People like Mark, people like Silas, people like you. I encourage you today, growing in faithfulness, don't limit God. Don't put your life in a box. Don't think that you know the whole script. Don't say God can't do this. God couldn't use Grace Community Church in this way. Don't have that kind of small thinking when God sees the big picture and there are no limits in your life to what God is going to do in growing you in depth with Jesus and growing our church in terms of changed lives in depth with the Lord. There's just no limits. And then it says this, greet each other with a holy kiss, with a kiss of love. 
is how it ends. I don't know. I didn't study the Greek on a kiss of love. I've seen some European cultures where there's a kiss. We're never going to do the kiss of love here at Grace, just to let you know. Pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, this is a cultural practice. What does this mean? This means united. Let's be united in prayer. Let's be united on the weekends. Let's be united in the row that you sit in when you come on the weekend. Let's be united in life group. Let's be united in serving and using our gifts. Let's be united in representing Jesus in our communities, in the marketplace. Let's be united in reaching the nations. Let's be united together in all that we're doing. Let's take some risks relationally and and let's see some healing and grow in faithfulness so that we would be united. What hasn't changed in 2,000 years is that God has a plan for local churches. And the local churches are bringing living hope to their communities and to their countries. What do you really want Grace Community Church to look like and be? What does God really want for a healthy church? Let's take this in. Let's take this in. Let's think about it this week. Let's pray about it. Uh, This is the the take-home. Our level of health as a church is the same as our level of abiding with Jesus. The church is the people, and the way that we abide with Jesus will be the level of health in our church. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up right now. And as we think about summarizing this book right here, Peter would say that you are called, you are secure, you have an identity in Jesus. You are in God's family. You are brothers and sisters. And when you go through the difficult times, know that you need to love each other, pray for each other. Be spiritually alert because the devil prowls around trying to take people down. And with that, use your gifts, servant leadership. Cast your anxiety upon the Lord. He cares for you. Let God restore. Grow in faithfulness. Use your gifts, and there's no limits to what God can do in this community. There's no limits. Jesus is our living hope. Jesus is the leader of this church. We're going to stand up right now. We're going to worship the Lord. A time to worship Jesus, to draw close to him. Let's praise the Lord together.
we always have and will have. Uh, we got prayer over here as a prayer team. Any concerns, anything you want to lift up, relationships, finances, come over to the prayer team and we'll pray with you and pray for you. Also, if you made a decision today, you want to get in a life group, you want to get baptized, you want to put your trust in Jesus, indicate on the card. But I want to close with a picture. And this picture that's on the screen here, that's downtown Auburn and that's our church. Here's a few things that have changed. Bible Baptist Church, that was the original name. Now, of course, we know we're Grace Community Church. Uh, we're thankful for Dr. Bob Wells, uh, not with us here. That's the theater. That's the theater. The church met downtown Auburn in the theater. Here's what hasn't changed. We trust and stand on God's word. 
the same scripture. It is reliable, inerrant for every generation. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That doesn't change. We love each other and grow in our faith, serve our community. That doesn't change. There's a fire in that group. 1953 was the year. There was a fire in their spirits to go downtown to take a risk because Auburn needs Jesus and Jesus is the living hope for Auburn and the sound. And so in 1953, they scraped the gum off the seats in the theater in downtown Auburn because there was a fire in their spirits for the Lord. And now here we are in the year 2021. I believe 1953 was a defining year for our church. I believe it set the tone for the future generations and by God's grace, it's part of where we are now and part of our story that we're grateful for. But I also believe 2021 is a defining year, a defining year. And just like in 1953, they made intentional steps to reach Auburn and reach the sound. I believe that this is a very intentional year where if Jesus doesn't come back soon, this church in decades forward will look back to 2021 and say, how did the church respond during pandemic? How did the church respond when they've never seen this before? When the doors were closed and there was isolation, there was mass, like how did the church respond? Peter was writing to a church, persecution broke out. How would the church respond? And I believe that as the church relying on the Holy Spirit for such a time as this, just like 1953 set the tone for the next decades, I believe this year, right now, this decision about who we are sets the tone for the future of Grace Community Church. Do you sense that in your spirit? Have you been feeling that this year? What do you want this church to be all about? Let's focus on the Lord. Let's abide with Jesus together. There's no limits to what God does in pandemics. There's no limits. And let's pray this week as God, as we celebrate Easter, the tomb is empty. Jesus is our living Savior and living hope. And let's walk with him. Have a good day with the Lord. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.